you gotta handle the rock with flair and rhythm if you want to be judged on wood brain and concrete courts in New York. This ain't no nickel and dime. It's dribbling dimes where scoring never looked this good. I guarantee it. But was your reputation built from the playground up? Or did you call next and they took that ish? Or cause you weren't as fast as police and ambulance sirens? Or as loud as Mr. Softy Ice Cream? No. You see, this is New York City hoops in prime time. As beautiful as the skyline, it's dribbling dimes. What's good? Welcome to another episode of Dribbling Dives. Um, man, it's a it's a sad day um, for us, uh, and it just so happens that we have a, a guest that represents the Yukon family. Um, Cliff Robinson passed this morning, and he was an alumni of Yukon. Um, and I just, you know, prepping for this show is kind of how I found out about it. I had no idea. So I just want to start off just by saying, you know, rest in peace to Cliff Robinson and just give him a quick moment of silence. All right, man, rest in peace. Our guest. And I, peace. Yeah, and I'm sorry we started on such a somber note, but we, we're going to pick up the pace, man. Um, it's, it's unfortunate when we lose people, obviously, but um, especially now, I think the, there's such a heightened awareness and sensitivity when people pass um because of everything that's happening especially when you talk about people of color as well uh, so you know i just i thought it was right for us to you know start that way but our guest um he hails from forest hills queens no he, we can't start off we can't start out like that oh oh excuse me all right yeah, well, why, why don't you tell us where like you that. from why don't you tell us where you from I'm originally born in Harlem, and but I grew up in Left Frack City, Queens. Ah! Mm. Left Frack City. They won't let me. They won't. They won't let me come home if they talk about you from far as. Yo, you so right. <laughs> you so right. Nori will kill me. Yes, if Nori you're right. will be looking for you, you're right. me, and everybody else. That's a fact. That's a f- and Dane. Shit, Dane Irvin would have. It would have been a rap for me. <laughs> that's, that's little. That's little bro. Yes, all right, absolutely. All right. You're right. Damn, I never messed that up. I should have asked you before. <laughs> yeah, a lot of pride in our community, man. Absolutely. All right, cool. Play that. Cool. So our man hails from Left Rack City, Queens. Yes, much better. He uh he he balled out throughout high school and ended up attending the University of Texas El Paso, uh UTEP for short. He played under legendary coach. I'm, I'm, Don Haskins. There you go. I'm mm-hmm. just, I'm just, we're going back and forth in your intro. I'm not even going to just yep. take up all the time. <laughs> all good. All good. Uh, mm-hmm. And now, I mean, he, he's been affiliated with AIM High, New Heights, um, the PAL in the New York City area, mm-hmm. and, and countless other organizations. But mm-hmm. today, this assistant coach of the NCAA sits alongside head coach Dan Hurley at the University of Connecticut. Please welcome Kamani Young. If, if, if I may, I think we should call him the voice too, because that voice right there, boy, you gonna put us out of business soon. Yeah. Now you know, you know that. Now you know where I'm from. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, now you know where I'm from. Yo, Kamani, right. man, um, thank you for for making the time. Um, I know, I know you a busy man outside of work. You got four kids, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just just off that. You know, I know how hard it is to, to situate yourself and do other things outside of your, your immediate responsibilities. Um, I'd like to start with just understanding how you fell into the game of hoops. Like, I'm sure Left Rack played a part. I'm sure Harlem played a part. But, like, tell us, what, what's that story like? Yeah, I mean, just growing up in New York City, man, you guys know, you know, you know it just as well as I do. You know, it's the it's the the game of our, our, our city, that's just, you know, we're passionate about it. It's an easy game to play growing up, um, you know, going up in the communities that we grew up in, you know, we ain't have hockey sticks, you know what I mean? I mean, if you were fortunate enough, you may could find a baseball field or football field, but for the most part, everybody I grew up was playing, was playing hoops. And that started in Harlem. And then I moved to Queens when I was about six or seven, um, you know, and I spent time in both places, but I grew up in, in, you know, two communities where basketball was king and, and 
became a large part of my life as a young person and just kind of uh, progressed all the way through adulthood. Mm. And would you, so you, you said some things that kind of made me angry right now and I'll explain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you said it's, it's, it's the game we grew up playing and it, it was, you know, it was an easy game to play. Um, mm-hmm. My brother and I, we weren't that fortunate. Our, our talents just didn't make it, make the cut. <laughs> so, Even, I, although I did develop a slight jump shot, man, you want to test me on the court now? We might all right, all right, all right. That just take practice, right? That's exactly. real. Just take practice. All right, that's that's done. That's right. We didn't practice that much. Uh, that's the, the reality of it. Um, go ahead, Emilio. Yeah, no. Uh, so you know, um, seeing your 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 growth and your development, um, you had a lot of success early on. Um, my question is, is part of a twofold question. Your demeanor is your in your voice, right? You have a very strong presence. For me, it seems like you also are very strong present in the game of basketball. Does your voice match your play or your demeanor on the court as far as power and strength? Or did you have to develop that? I don't think so. I mean, growing up in Harlem, it's just like everything in Harlem. It was all about flash, flair, right. the showmanship, right? Just who can make the game look the best, you know, woo the crowd. So mm. that's how I was introduced to the game. When I moved to Queens, um, you know, I learned more about the fundamentals of the game, the science of the game, um, the things that were most important and how you impact winning. And I had a strong coach that put a lot of time and, and, and investment into me. Um, and I think that's where I really was able to take my game to, the, to another level and become a good high school player and earn a college scholarship and, and along the way figuring out wait, maybe it's probably a professional career in basketball for me. Um, you know, and I was lucky enough to be surrounded by a lot of people that put a lot of ton of energy and, 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 um, and attention into me. And, and, you know, here I am. Who was that coach that you just referred to? Uh, well, yeah. the one that I, that I, you know, refer to the most is Vincent Smith, you know, Kenny Smith's older brother. Right. He mm. was the architect. Know, he was the, absolutely the architect. There was a, there was a uh, you know a documentary on him, but you know he grew up in our community in Left Rack. And if you had any talent or wanted to be, you know, wanted to play basketball, he always had a place for you. Um, and that's who I spent most of my time with as a young person learning the game. Dane, when Dane came on this this show, um, he he highlighted some really interesting attributes that obviously are common knowledge to those that are of Left Rack. Uh, city, but also came up playing for Vincent. Um, so w- one notable thing I recall was how committed Vince has been to trying to help you find the right place for you, right? And when I and in the context of like the next level after high school, right? So like collegiately, he was really. It seemed like he was really focused on trying to have not you fit somewhere, but that place be per, you know, the best option for you. Mm-hmm. How, how did that play into you getting to UTEP? Was that kind of part of the process, him and his? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I, I haven't, I didn't make one decision in my basketball career to this day without Vince. Wow. Not, not, not one decision from, you know, where I went to high school to where I went to college um, to where I went professionally, what I tried to do with my career, you know, post-college, and then, you know, the moves that I've made, the steps that I've taken since I've been, um, you know, in, in college coaching. So, I mean, that's spot on, you know what I mean? I would also add that Vince, you know, he, 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 um, he dedicated his life to helping other people, you know, starting with his brother, um, you know, on to Kenny Anderson, who was right, right behind him, to myself, to Talik Brown, to Dane Irvin, I mean, to, to countless others. I'm just speaking to guys that grew up in our community. Right. Um, but he's been, I mean, he, he you know, we, we, we say it all the time. Without, without Vince, there's no us. So, um, mm. you know, we can't, we can't say enough about him that way. Would you say that your relationship with Vincent directly impacted you as far as your mentorship, leadership with youth? Because I see that you're all over youth, you know what I mean? Youth sports and basketball. Was that fair to say that that his relationship impacted that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, because, I, I, you know, you think about it, you know, his brother could buy him a house, right? Ken right. Anderson could buy him a car. Right. You know, Ron Artest could throw him a nice, you know, huge 
uh, birthday dinner or whatever, however you want to describe it. But, you know, when you don't make the NBA, you know, all you could give back to them is, is, is pushing that, you know, pushing that same movement forward mm. and getting into youth development and trying to help young people the same way that guys like him and other people, you know, Judge Pierre Turner and Kevin Jackson and other coaches that I've had along the way, my high school coach, Erwin Iser. Um, but, but, you know, doing the same thing that they did for you is, is a great way to, to repay them. Mm. We, pay, we, pay it forward. That's right. We, we talk a lot about uh, the way you use the game for your benefit, right? And, and not, not on some selfish type, but like, you know, the game is the game. You have a, a finite window of time to maximize your skill, whatever that is, high, low, ex, ex, you know, off the charts in that, in that span of time. <clears throat> you have found a way to take the ball, right, and then do what you just said. Use that, that tool to help enlighten the, the careers, potentially, of, of the youth, but also yourself, right? How, when when did that become part of your plan? Because I, I know I'm sure for a period of time it was, all right. Let me let me dominate here in in my high school, and and it sounded like you were saying like you weren't really sure what you were going to do after that, and the steps kind of started to become clearer. When was it that basketball, maybe not coaching, but basketball as a career opportunity became a reality for you? And where did you when did you come to the realization of what your niche was going to be? Yeah, that's one of the messages that, you know, I always heard loud and clear from a young person. Use basketball. Don't let basketball use you. Right. So when when you're in middle school, you want to use basketball to get to a good high school, whether that's a Catholic school, a private school, a good public school. Um, that's your goal. And once you get to high school, then you go, let me use basketball to get to college. Right. And then once you're in college, for a lot of us, our dreams are to play in the NBA. And those dreams were no different for me. You know, you're looking at somebody that watched two, two people that I grew up, you know, seeing every day go, go to the NBA. So it was a reality for me. It wasn't like this pipe dream, like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just putting these guys up on posters on my wall. Like, no, I sat in Kenny Smith's home. I, you know, slept over Kenny Anderson's house. Like, you know I mean? I was like, if they could do it, I could do it. Um, and then it gets to a point where you realize, well, maybe you can't do it. Um, and, then, and then you got to You got to figure out what those next steps are. And, you know, I had some bumps in the road along the way trying to figure out my path. Um, but once I realized that youth development was was was, you know, um, my passion and, and, you know, I got involved with it. And, you know, from there, basketball, I got reconnected with basketball and youth development, kind of put it together. Um, and that's when I realized, like, no, I got a, I got a career in this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, starting with AAU, PAL, along those lines, and, and now in college. I want to touch right back on to Vincent Smith. What do you think your life would be if you did not have him in your corner or in your life? Yeah, it'd be a lot tougher than it's been already. You know, it's funny. He calls me the prodigal son. Um, <laughs> that's, it, that's, it, that's his name for me. Um, Why? But, you know, I, I want to hear the story because behind I was, that. I was, I, was, I was the knucklehead, man. I was, I was the knucklehead. <laughs> I was the knucklehead, man. And I always knew I could, I, you know, I had a safety net in him. Um, and he always stood by my side. But, um, you know, without him, who knows, man? You know, he was that father figure for me growing up. Um, he, he, he modeled behavior that was just, you know, like you grow up wanting to be like him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and still to this day, we're still very close. We communicate all the time. He's always calling me after games, telling me what we could have done better and what we should be doing. So. It's great to have that 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 mentor, you know, to lean on. Beautiful. How does um, I have sorry. to imagine that he like I guess like any coach, right? Um, they're hard on their players from time to time, maybe all the time, right? How is it? Because you you've got a few things going on. You're a kid from Left Rack City, right? Tough tough environment to come up in. So off off rip. There's a bunch of challenges, right? You mentioned you was a knucklehead. Knuckleheads are the hardest sometimes to like crack, right? To get get to listen to you. How how was that relationship? You coming up, him trying to impart wisdom on you. I'm sure there was some rejection and maybe some, you know, fighting over certain principles. How was that experience? Like if you had if it was you all over again, right? If if you're Vincent and he's, you know, and you're teaching somebody else now, and I guess that's kind of what you're doing, right? How how was that relationship? Like, 
are you able to look back and say, damn, yo, like I, I really should have just like laid down and just did what he said or whatever. Like what, what was it like? Yeah. Nah, for me, I hung on every word for Vince. You know I mean? You got a brother, like you got a brother uh, that you mentored and made it all the way to the NBA. Like his credibility was, was, was stamped. You know what I mean? He wasn't, he wasn't, you, you didn't question him, not in terms of basketball, right. you know, mm-hmm. not, not in terms of basketball. You know, but I, I, you know, I was a product of my environment, like, like, like a lot of us, you know, grew up in a tough area and saw some things, wish I didn't see at a young age, but helped mold me into the person I am. Um, you know, so, you know, I, I think my story is, is, is one that I can be proud of, um, you know, to go through what I've been through in my life and, and still be here as a, as a beacon of hope for, for young coaches like myself and, and, um, and for our players. So, um, you know, I wouldn't change anything. It, you know, it's it's for me, it's a little astonishing because you had a lot of success, especially as a youth, as a basketball player. Um, especially you got honorable mention as a McDonald's All-American in 1992, right? You are one of the few people that actually scored a thousand points, one of 22 players at the time to score a thousand points. Did you feel at the time like, yo, I'm destined for the NBA? Or did you feel like, you know, all right, you know, this is just the way it is. What was your emotions like? Because I... I feel like you want the NBA right now. Yeah. Nah, definitely, man. You know, <laughs> definitely. Especially growing up in the hood. You know what I mean? Right. Everybody, you the best player in your neighborhood, you going to the NBA. Right. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, that's just, especially in New York. Right. Um, right. You know, but once I got to college and you start playing against guys that you know are going to the NBA, right. there's a difference. You know mm. what I mean? Like, I'm looking at guys like I played against Andre Miller. Like, no, that dude is different oh, than wow. me. You know what I mean? Keith Van Horn, he's different. Mm. You know, Jason Kidd, Rasheed Wallace, like you play against these guys, you're like, okay, now nah, this there's a whole there's levels to this. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So what what does that do to you? Like when you when that reality sets in, how how does that affect you as somebody aspiring to go pro in, in the league, right? Like what what was going through your head? Yeah, I got a strong opinion about that, man. And and you know, for me, I feel like, you know, student athletes and not just basketball players, but student athletes across the board, they need more guidance that way, right? Somebody, you know, along the lines of, especially when you're in college, because now it's the next step, right? When you're in high school, you still got a ways to go. You're still growing emotionally. You're still growing socially. You're still trying to find yourself. But once you're in college, your next step is reality, right? Adulthood. And I just feel like for student athletes, you give so much to a university, you give so much to a game. you know, you're adored by fans and, you know, there's no sense of reality that when this is over, what's up next? Um, and I just think that, you know, a lot the student athletes need more guidance that way. When I was coming up, that wasn't, you know, you kind of had figured that out on your own. Um, there was this, you know, kind of perception that if you don't make it to the NBA and you're a good, good player, you just go, you know, have this great career in Europe and still make, you know, tons of money. Um, and that's not necessarily a reality either. So, you know, I feel like our jobs as coaches and as mentors and as youth developers, we need to start that, that, that line of thinking a little sooner, right? Or what, you know, I want to chase my dream, but if I'm not an NBA player, if I'm not an NFL player, if I'm not a professional athlete, what's next for me? Who, whose you responsibility know, is that? So, so I know you mentioned us as coaches, your words, um, but, but I feel like it's bigger than that, right? Like, how, yeah. how do you see it? I mean, it's a collective responsibility, you know? It starts in the home, right? It starts with your parents. It starts with people that, that's closest to you. But I do think some of that responsibility is now on us as coaches, as administrators, um, you know, the people that where you go to school, right? There needs to be programming that help you take those next steps. And that that's, you know, I see that happening, you know, in our in our business. Um, you know, there, there's all kind of programming at universities that connect you with, um, you know, professional areas of life, like whatever you want to do, career opportunities, there's internships now, like that's a, that's a huge part of what we do now. I want to say this, and I mean this with all sincerity, I could just because of the impact you have with youth and all your experience with youth, I believe in the future, that would be an, a program that you, you yourself would probably implement. The reason I say this is because just because you have a voice don't mean you actually know what you're talking about all the time. Does that make sense? Like, everybody is not as skilled as 
you know, even though we're all, you know, your assistant coach, all assistant coaches, in my opinion, may not be the same caliber of assistant coach. And I say that's with, with great respect to you, just of seeing your resume. It feels like sometimes we look around for the answer, but, but the answer's in the mirror. You know what I'm saying? And just based off your accolades, I could see that being in your future, instituting that kind of programming. Do you feel like that's something that you would want to take on in the future as a kind of a side kind of passion project or something, or is this something that's too far-fetched for one person to, to, to uphold? I would love to be a part of something like that, you know, because, you know, you know, my mistakes are documented, right? That, that, you, know, you know, I went to federal prison, you know what I mean? And, and you know, you look at what, what, what I did leading up to that, there's no way a person like me should have ended up in prison. Um, so I felt like that was part of my personal story, right? That how did I get here? And now I had an opportunity um, to right my wrong, but how can I help deter other young people like myself from even going through that? Um, and I look back and I just said, if I had an idea what I wanted to do once, as soon as I was done playing, like that would have never happened. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I would have got right into coaching. I would have, you know what I mean? I would have chased that dream and, and, you know, but, but it's part of, it's part of my story. I embrace it. And, and, you know, I think it, it, it built, it built a lot of character. Right. And it helps me deal with the young people that I deal with every day. Mm. Yeah, I just want to say, first of all, I want to congratulate you on all the accolades that you have received as an assistant basketball men's coach. Uh, you were the athletic had you as one of 25 up and coming assistant coaches in the country. So congratulations to that. Uh, Nike had you as one of the 50 top assistants uh, to the 2015 Villa seven consortium. Um, you you've affected you know, players even in your own uh, team uh, with UConn, three players that you've helped to be all conference, one being Christian Vital. Hope I'm mm -hmm. saying that name correctly. Mm -hmm. Tell me tell me about all where all you feel, all this success for you having as an assistant basketball coach. Where does that come from? Like, you know, there's so many assistant basketball coaches, but you are on the top echelon of what you do. Tell me about your yeah. success or why, the reason about why you think you're so successful. I mean, for me, man, I'm incredibly lucky. You know, what I mean, I've been I've been afforded some tremendous, tremendous opportunities um, for an assistant coach. You know, like I got an opportunity to work with Richard Pitino um, at FIU in five years at Minnesota, who's an unbelievable young coach, comes from great pedigree. I mean, his dad is in the Hall of Fame. He worked for Billy Donovan. So I learned a ton from him every day. I'm now working with, with Danny Hurley. Who, I mean, you know, I mean, his name speaks for itself. His dad is also in the, in, in the Hall of Fame and what him and his brother and his whole family has done in the game of basketball. So when you just, you, you look at those two opportunities alone, like, you know what I mean? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a young kid from left rack city. Like that just doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, so, um, and then what I was able to do through grassroots, I thought that the grassroots for me was, um, you know, I was able to learn all the lessons of coaching um, and what it took right, to be a part of a program and impact a program without all the pressures that come with doing it in college. Uh. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if I'm on the road and I'm an AAU coach and a kid breaks curfew, like, I'm going to yell at them. I'm going to, you know, I'm going I'm to understand how to deal with them and I'm going to learn from that. But that happens in college and you on the, you're on the baseline of ESPN. That's true. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? I just felt like like the years that I spent in grassroots helped me prepare for what I'm doing now. Mm. How, how often do you go back? Because um, th there's a few ironies, right? So you came up playing ball at a left rag, made it to college to play ball. Right there, that's a huge checkbox that a lot of people don't get to make um, happen, yeah. right? You You – graduate from college right you earn a degree and then you end up getting locked up right now when you think about it in, in the general context right like things happen all you know all throughout your life so I, I don't i don't mean to say this like you were past i guess at that point the the risk of you going to prison was likely past just given the checks you know the boxes that mm -hmm. you were able to check along mm -hmm. the way so, so it's interesting to me how that happens, but it happens, but you actually learn from that experience and you were able to flip the script so crazy because that's, that's a, you know, it's a, it's a big impacting event, right? You get locked up. I don't care if it's for a month, six months, a year in your case, right? Like that's federal prison. 
Like that's not this is not sleepaway camp, right? Yeah. And then you come out of there likely relatively defeated, or at least for some part of that, you're you're feeling defeated, like a failure, I have to imagine. But then you come out and somehow now you're an assistant coach and you've been an assistant coach in the NCAA for years, right? Like how how proud are you? Because like we all make mistakes. Like I don't want to dwell on the events that led you to get to print like whatever it's documented like you said you can go you can go google it guys if you want but like mm-hmm. how do you find the how do you muster up the courage the yeah i guess courage is the right word yeah to to make it to where you've been because i would be super embarrassed is how yeah, I would i'll tell feel. you i'll tell you a funny story about that and i always laugh when i think about it so whenever you make the mistakes like i made the motivation was money right yeah. the, the motivation was quick money a quick fix you know, you know, just get ahead of yourself um, and you make a mistake, right? You make it just a huge error in judgment. Um, and now that there's a price to pay. So when I get when I get arrested, I immediately return back to New York and I start working. Um, a woman by the name of Terry Williams, who's a, who she, at the time she was a huge publicist in New York City. She's written books. She's a published author. Um, but I met her. She was on a board of a of a. Uh, of a foster care agency, the Jewish Board of Family and Children's Services. And there was a, a, a facility in, on the Lower East Side called the Kaplan House. It was right on 8th and 1st. Um, and she takes me there for a weekly meeting. She has me speak to the young people, you know, about, you know, what I was going through. And the director offered me a job. I think I was making $13, $14 an hour. And I worked there for a year as I'm going through my legal issues, right? And Finally, um, you know, it's a full-time position. I'm, I'm, I'm running a program which, you know, started my career in coaching. It was, I called it a therapeutic recreation program. And I would do with the young people in the program is we would go to basketball games, car shows, plays, movies, just things that kids that go through the foster care system don't get to experience. And, um, you know, my career, I could see a path for me, right, in, in youth development. So when when it's time for me to turn myself in and go to jail, I have this long talk with my boss and explain to him everything that I'm going through and what's next. He said, look, Kamani, when you're done with your time, just come back and, you know, you'll have your job here. So I'm excited, you know, but, but I got this, this year of, of, you know, federal prison in front of me. So I get the, I get there. Um, I was at the Allenwood uh, low security uh, facility in Pennsylvania. So I get there and they basically interview you. Right. They say, well, you know, what do you do? What's important? You know, have you had employment? You know, and I'm telling my whole story and they give you this application of the different jobs that you can work while you're in prison. Mm. You know, recreation, cooking, uh, uh, construction, unicorn, all all these different things. And they have um, the pay scale next to it. So like. It was like 10 cents an hour, 11, 11 cents an hour, 12 cents an hour. I think that the best job in there, you made 20 cents an hour. So I say to the woman, um, this is you, it's a typo on this, this paperwork <laughs> yeah. you're giving me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just coming off the street. Like, I'm this kind of right. college graduate, this polished dude that, you know, worked in, in, you know, mainstream employment. And I'm just like, oh, no, ma'am, you're having a, this is a uh, typo. She's like, it's not a typo. Like you're going to work for 10 cents an hour. You know I mean, you're going to work for 11 cents an hour. And once that set in, I was like, okay, like this doesn't add up. You know what I mean? Like, like I could, I could have been doing what I'm doing, what I've done for the last year. Right. And still be fine and, and not even, you know, put myself in harm's way that way. So once I realized that, I knew like, no, I'm going to get out of here. Um, I'm going to chase some dreams. I'm going to use my education. I'm going to use all the experiences I've had. I'm going to use basketball to right this wrong. Um, and, and, and that's that's, you know, that's one of the lessons I try to, you know, I try to talk to our guys about now. Like, you know, let's be realistic. You know, what I mean, some of us have the talent to go to the NBA. But, you know, don't have an expectation that once I'm done, like this, hundreds of thousand dollars in Europe, like this, 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 just this, you know, this yellow brick road um, 
you know, to financial freedom. Like it doesn't work that way. Like you got to work your butt off. All right. To get to a level where, um, you know, you can, you, you can be financially stable and take care of your family and all those things, but that can't just be the goal. The work has to be, you know, has to be the motivation. I gotta say, I gotta, yeah. Hold on, the fans, the fans want to chime in for a second. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, I just, I wanted to say that. Yeah, kudos to you because for me, what I took away from what your story was about prison is, is the the mental fortitude that you had because I, you know, I myself or my brother, you know, we haven't done anything quite like that as far as I know. Uh, it, it, were you ever that kind of a person? Did you ever always know yourself as that kind of a person as far as having mental strength or, or was it something you just had to develop because that was that was the cards that that were dealt in your life or that you dealt in your life? Probably somewhere in between, man. I mean, you know, growing up in the communities that we grow up in, like, you got to be tough, man. You got to be right. tough on the bus. You got to be tough on the train. <laughs> you got to be tough on the basketball court. So, right. You know, it was never a time when I felt like, you know, I'm not going to make it. Like I knew it was, I knew there was some, you know, some obstacles to overcome, but I felt like I had done so much prior to that. I had developed, developed such strong relationships prior to that, that I would be okay. On that note, let's take a quick pause to celebrate a Dribbling Dimes milestone. It's been nearly two years since the podcast started, and now we're ready to expand the brand with professional-grade writing, a variety of videos, special experiences, and so much more. But here's the deal. You have to get down with the email click to experience it all. So head on over to dribbleindimes.com and sign up. Once on the site, just scroll all the way down to the bottom and drop that email address in the Join the Dribbling Dimes email click box. That's it. From there, you'll receive a confirmation email letting you know you're officially down with the click. Stay tuned to your inbox for way more from Dribbling Dimes. Let's talk a little bit about um, what the the group that you're involved with now in uh, in the NCAA. So, f- first of all, what, when I started talking to you, to Dwayne Killings, um, just about Coaches for Action, it didn't even dawn on me. <laughs> I'm like, all right, this is a Big East initiative. Or at least that's you know that's how it's begun. And and I, I was like, wait, a minute, something's wrong because Kamani's at UConn, and I'm like, they're not Big East. And like, I'm I'm like bugging out, and then and then I'm reading, and I'm like, oh, this is like new. <laughs> I can't and keep we track. Even officially, we weren't even officially in the Big East yet. I mean, right. officially. Right. 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 That so, just happened like last yeah. month, I think. Right. Yeah, I think July somewhere somewhere right. in July. Like, yeah. So, so co- coaches for action. Um, you know, you uh, a, bu- a bunch of assistant coaches got together, and it sounds like it started just you guys having conversations, you know, around the time, probably just after George Floyd's passing and, and all the events that, you know, transpired from that. Um, can you t- just walk us through, like, what the genesis of Coaches for Action is and, like, wh- why you guys decided to band together and make this happen now? Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, um, you know, just like all of us, we were so um, we were so confused, right? When when with the George Floyd passing, like we're just like, what what is going on? What like what just happened? You know what I mean? Like that that and not that you know events like this that have happened before um, weren't as impactful and 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 you know wasn't as disheartening. But you know when you watch that, that was just like, come on, man. Yeah. Like, like what, you know, for me personally, you know, I lived in Minneapolis for five years. I knew exactly where that happened. My kids grew up there. Um, wow. It was, it was for me, it, it was, it was hard for me to understand and really put in the words what, what I was going through um, emotionally watching that. Um, and what do you do? You, you know what I mean? In times like that, you reach out to your boys. Right. right. You, you reach out to your boys like, you know, what, like, did you see that? Like, what's going on? What do you think? Like, you know? And um, it came out of casual conversations between myself, Dwayne, Kyle, Kyle Neptune. Um, like, why don't we just get on a call, man, with the rest of um, the black and minority assistant coaches in the Big East and brainstorm on some things that we feel could help create some change. 
we just didn't want to be those guys like, you know, liking pictures on Instagram, retweeting, um, you know, what people were doing and saying and, and having a social media presence. Like, no, like if, if this is going to be um, an event that's going to really impact our country and our world, like, let's be a part of it. Right. We have a huge fl- platform as as, you know, as 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 basketball coaches um, in this country. We, but with that comes in a responsibility, you know, a responsibility to our players, to their parents, to our communities where we're from, to the communities where we coach. Like I'm at UConn, but we're 20 minutes from Hartford. Right. Right. Like this is right. this is you know, what I mean, like this is a, a urban community um, that loves UConn basketball. So, right. you know, our, our goal was like, how can we be a part of this change? How we can impact, um, you know, what, what's going on? How can we create where, awareness? And we got on the call and, and um, somebody that really stood out to us was Ivan Thomas, right? He's another assistant coach at Providence College. You know, you talk about a strong voice, like, you know, he's <laughs> from the South, but he's got a strong voice, especially when it comes to social injustice and, and systemic racism. Um, so, I mean, he kind of just blew out, you know, blew us away with his passion for the movement. Um, so, you know, we, we created what we call in our executive team and, and um, came up with some initiatives that we thought could could uh, could help push the movement forward. When you speak about um, this initiative, are you speaking directly towards the campuses of each individual Big East team? Or are you talking about the community at large? Just want to be a little bit more. Can you just, you know, walk us through that? Yeah, when I say initiatives, um, there were three things that we felt like um, were were initiatives that could hold people accountable, right? And when we say hold people accountable, we meant, you know, the universities that we work for, mm-hmm. um, the conference, right, that that uh, we, we, you know, that we compete under. Um, and, you know, really just the, the basketball community at large, right? We want to help, we're going to hold you we're going to hold you accountable to being a part of this change. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another thing that we, we, you know, was a core value of ours when we created this organization was something that we could sustain over time, not a one shot deal, not a photo op, not a tweet, you know, not a moment, you know, we wanted to create some things that over time we could sustain and really impact change. Um, you know, far after some of us or even all of us are, are gone, you know? Right. Um, and, and those initiatives were, you know, one, creating a BLM patch, right, that we would all, you know, all wear in our uniforms during competition. And that was for home and away, men's and women's basketball. Wow. And we all know, um, you know, BLM is, is uh, it's a lightning rod. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah. know, there's a movement, there's an organization, there's this, there's that. And that wasn't our position on it. Our position is we want to make a statement for our players, um, for our, for us, assistant coaches, our families, our communities, like, no, our lives matter. Black lives, the black lives that, you know, you come to the games and you cheer for, um, you wear our jerseys, right? You, you pat us on the back every day, um, because you're a fan and, and you love college sports, um, and even pro sports for that matter. But, you know, once we take those uniforms off and we get into our car and we're in the street and we're in the communities and we're, at the mall and we're in restaurants and where, you know, wherever it may be, like our lives still have to matter. Yep. Um, and that's what that, that's what that BLM patch represents for us. Um, and, and it was something that we felt strongly, strongly about, um, you know, we wanted to create voter awareness, right? That was another initiative. Um, you know, we, we held ourselves accountable to, you know, register every single one of our student athletes in our programs. And, 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 and we've done that. And we wanted to carry it on to our campuses um, to register every young person right in college and, and you know, voter awareness and, and voters education really educate our young people on the importance of voting. And what does it really mean? You know, voting for the different branches. When you say voting, everybody just automatically think president that, thinks that, you know, voting for the president is going to change everything. No, that's not the case. And young people need to be edu- educated that way. Um, and then lastly, uh, we wanted to create a scholarship fund for a promising minority, you know, high school student to attend um, a Big East institution. So we want to create a scholarship fund and not only for for, you know, uh, someone that's 
academically promising, but no, somebody that's going to have a voice um, in this community. Somebody's going to have a voice against social injustice. Somebody's going to have a voice against systemic racism. Um, you know, we want to create edu educational opportunities for, for, for young people that way as well. That's, I have to applaud you guys um, because any undertaking is really difficult to kick off, right? Um, and, it, and unfortunately, it takes monumental events like what we're going through right now um, in order to spark meaningful change, right? Like you said, like, unfortunately, the severity of George Floyd's situation, I, I won't say is common, but people of color like us being killed, whether it be police or otherwise, is very common, unfortunately, right? And so the magnitude of George Floyd it, amidst the, the pandemic and just all the different stressors that we're facing as a, as a global society, you know, has given birth to so many interesting things, coaches for action being one. I, I'm, I'm really impressed at how succinctly and very well organized you guys have approached this because it's very easy to lay out 30 different initiatives that are impossible for you to act on. Right. And so I know it was intentional for you guys to be very hyper-focused on what is it that we can actually do? Like you said, what's sustainable that we can do for a long time and then figure out like how you can I'll call it feed the funnel. Right. So like if you're bringing on, if you're offering scholarships and providing opportunity for kids that likely would not be able to attend a big East school, you're helping to supercharge the coaches for action, but even more broadly, the campus community with folks that will help to, to keep that momentum going. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I have to imagine that was all relatively intentional. N none of that sounds like just happened to happen, right? How, yeah. how do you guys, how do you guys organize yourselves to allow that to happen? Because conversation yeah. is one thing. You can have a hundred Zoom calls. For it to actually come out of the Zoom call and really be implemented into something real in such a short amount of time, I'm really, I'm unsure how you guys have done it. So I'd love to hear how, how it happened. I mean, there's so many people that, you know, played a hand in, in creating that, you know, that kind of organization you're describing. I mean, we would we, be here for a little while, but um, mm. I got to give Dwayne credit. You know, his leadership has been unbelievable, you know, during this time for us. There's another young woman that, that you know, we came aboard of, of, of our organization once she um, heard of what we were doing. Her name is Renee uh, Spellman. Spellman. Yeah. Um, she's, I mean, she's, she's, you know, we, we, uh, we've leaned on her a ton and a, and a ton of our success has a lot to do with, you know, her level of expertise in the space and, and, you know, just her experience in, in, in politics and other things, um, you know, that, that helped contribute to where we are today. Um, but there's been, you know, a ton of our coaches, you know, have had, you know, gathered resources from their networks that help help create our website and, and you know help create our Twitter page and Instagram page and creating content um, to keep us relevant and, and keep us in um, you know just keep us active uh, in social media. So um, I just think it's been a tremendous collective effort. Um, you know then again the Big East, the Big East Conference, um, their support has been unwavering. Right. Wow. You know, they, 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 they've been shoulder to shoulder to shoulder with us from day one. We can't thank them enough for, for their support as well. Um, prior to you guys um, getting into Coaches for Action, I have a question. What do you see the difference is from the time you guys created Coaches for Action and then prior, like, what was it prior to that, in your opinion, your estimation, as far as all, you know, the social injustice and the change? I mean, in our, you know, like in, in, in the basketball community for us, I mean, I see a ton of uh, organizations similar to ours popping up and they were happening simultaneously. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, okay, somebody said, oh, I see Coaches for Action, let's do, no, like literally there were, you know, there was Coaches for Action, Coaches for Change, Coaches United, you know, uh, West Coast Conference did, you know, ha has their initiatives. Like I think across the board, everybody was just like, no, this is not, we can't do this. <laughs> we can't do this. You know what I mean? Like, like we all have 
tremendous platforms. We got to use it um, to speak out against um, what we witnessed in, in, you know, in the George Floyd uh, passing and, and, and other, uh, you know, Breonna Taylor. I mean, the list goes all and on. I mean, I just think it got to a point where um, once, once coaches like us, you know, stepped out into the forefront, I think it gave confidence to a lot of other people to say, hey, this is something that we should join forces on. Kamani, I have, a, I have a question that's kind of relative to what's going on in society today. We recently saw a few days ago that the NBA had a boycott. Um, t- tell me about what your opinion is about that, ex- that action by the NBA players. Do you feel it's effective? Do you feel it's necessary for us to shake things up? What's your take on it as far as a, from, a, from an ath- athletics perspective? Excuse me. Yeah, I, I thought it was awesome, man. You know what I mean? Like, I thought it was awesome. And people don't realize, like, it's not exactly what not playing did, but not playing gave everybody a pause to really pay attention to what happened. Yep. Right. It gave, it gave you know, everybody in the country and in the world, like, wait a minute, what just happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin? Right. And if I'm a player in the NBA... Like, you know, one, you're dealing with the pandemic, you're in a bubble, your mental health is being tested. And then, you know, there's a majority of the players that in NBA that are that are black. Mm-hmm. Like there's you have to there's no way you can watch that the next day, wake up and get mentally prepared to play in a playoff game. Right. It's, imp- right. it's impossible. Right. Right. It was it, it was impossible, you know, and, and we even we, we talked about it with our guys like do you guys need a day, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't something that we wanted to broadcast or say we're going to give the guys a day off and make a tweet about it and pound our chest like, oh, we're, you know, we're socially conscious. Like, no, we got in the circle. Like, hey, how are you guys feeling today? You know, how how are you guys feeling, man? You know, and it was a consensus. They're like, look, we here, you know, I think basketball is an escape for us, but it was a practice. It was a workout, right? right? It wasn't, you know, a nationally televised playoff game. So I think that that's where people – um, have to have more compassion, right, for NBA players and, and for just people across the board. Like, everybody needed to really process what happened at the time when we're already kicking and screaming, stop killing us. Right. Yeah. You know, so um, yeah, that, message, that's my take on it. And the message you know, is I, not being heard, and, and that's yeah. it's unfortunate. Yeah, like, I, I think they had to do that. You know, I watched what Kenny Smith did. It was a, he's a right. brother. That's a brother to me. You know, I was mm-hmm. on a Zoom call with him prior to, to me getting on this one. Like, to watch him wow. do that, I was so proud. Um, you know, he said it, man. Like, I can't, I can't, you know, be in the background saying, hey, we need to do this, we need to do that. Like, no, I got to walk the walk if I'm going to talk the talk. So, um, you know, to see, to see, you know, collectively – those young players in the NBA and, and, and veterans as well, just players across the board do that was, was powerful. How, how are the, the UConn players feeling? Uh, just post what you just said, but in general, like this, there's this most recent occurrence that's impacting everyone, but then you've got the foreseeable future is really cloudy. We don't know when basketball is going to start, how it's going to start. There's rumors of like bubble talk for the big East, like, all these different things up in the air. How are they feeling and how are you guys maintaining focus? Yeah, I don't think they know how to feel, to be honest with you, Manny. They, they don't know, right? They're so young. And yeah. for a lot of them, um, they've, been, uh, they've been insulated, right? They've been insulated through, um, through sports, right? They haven't, you know, they haven't uh, lived um, the average 18 year old, um, you know, life, they just have it, you know what I mean? They, they've been on, you know, they've been in the best high schools. They've been, you know, the best AAU teams, they're attending the best colleges. So I'm sure they know what's going on, but they don't really, it's, they, they haven't really lived it. Mm. Um, I think, I think with that comes some guilt, Mm. right? Like how should I be feeling, you know, should I be kicking and screaming? What can we do to be a part of what, you know, my family has gone through or people that I, I, I may know has gone through? So um, we've talked to them a ton about just educating themselves, right? Reading, podcasting, 
um, you know, we we went on a we went to a protest here in in in, in Hartford um, not too long ago. Like, be a part of the movement, understand what's going on around you, form an opinion through education. Right? Don't just go to a protest and then you go back to your dorm and, and you know life is the same. So that's been that's been our goal and focus with 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 our guys. That is awesome. I, I want to touch just a smidget upon Kenny Smith. I have an opinion. I just got. I just want to know your take on my opinion. So when when I saw Kenny Smith walk off from TNT, I was I was um I, in one part I understood it one hundred percent. My other part is the the voice that he has. Like yourself, yeah. to many youth, you have a voice when you're there with your coaches and you're you're imparting your wisdom, right? In in Kenny Smith's case, I feel like he has that voice where. Hey, like it for better or worse, he has millions of people, many, many youth that he can affect in that particular segment in time. I'm speaking mm-hmm. just in that. Do you feel like in that case, taking away his voice, so to speak, is more profound or less profound in the, in the sense of him walking off, whereas instead he could have stood and perhaps even shed his imparted his wisdom and kind of gave his two cents? Yeah, again, Emilio, I'm going to talk, I'm going to speak to it as if I was a player. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I know Kenny, I've known him, you know, as long as I can remember, mm-hmm. he couldn't do his job that night. Gotcha. He couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't collect himself well enough to do his job at the level that he does his job. And just like, I feel like the players couldn't do their job at the level that, um, you know, we all expect them to do their job. Right. So I think he had to do that. And, you know, getting prepared and and putting your suit on and going through makeup and doing everything it it takes to prepare to sit on that set was enough. Right. right? And I think it was, it was, it was a, it was a more powerful message to walk off than if he would have been there saying, Hey, this is what I believe. This is what I think. This is what I feel. Um, You know, and again, you know, I I was proud of. Um. Okay. Yeah, no, you got it. Oh, you, all right. So, so I wanted to touch a little bit off of this subject because we could be here all day, and I know you're very passionate. I'm passionate too. We could definitely be here all day, but I have a question more specifically about University of Connecticut, my brother. You are an assistant coach there. You come under a school that has had great many success, you know, in its history under Coach Jim Calhoun. I wonder when you were offered this opportunity, if you felt a bit more pressure than you had in previous uh, assistant coaching opportunities, namely Minnesota and Florida International, what did you feel about taking the assistant coaching job at UConn? Yeah, it's funny, man. Like, uh, I didn't feel, I didn't feel the pressure until I took the job. Mm. Right. Like, like when I was offered the job, I felt like, okay, this is the natural progression for a person like me mm-hmm. on the, on the, on this career path, right? You know, I'm from New York. Um, what I do well in the relationships that I have really connect with a place like UConn, mm-hmm. right? It, it, it's a good fit, you know, personally and professionally. But when I got here and I'm looking up on that wall, right, of the lottery picks, and the national championships and the all Americans <laughs> and the NBA players and the hall of famers. I'm like, all right, man, I didn't, I didn't really, not <laughs> put my neck on the line. Right. You know what I mean? This is going to be a sink or swim. You know what I mean? Either, either I'm going to be a head coach someday or a celebrated assistant. I'm going to be back at new heights in a couple of years, man. So, um, which is know, not a, which is not a bad look. Let's, let's not, <laughs> let's not poo poo it, no, but it's a I whole different know. level. <laughs> I know my kids though, man, they've been spoiled, man. Right. You know what I mean? They've been spoiled. They've been spoiled. You know, they've been living in big houses for a few years now. So right. I don't know if they're gonna be ready to move back to Washington Heights. <laughs> but um but yeah, once I once once I realized that and then working with Danny every day to kind of uh, you know, just the tone that he sets and the expectations that he sets and the standards and, and you know, again, man, you walking into every, you know, we look, we, and we joke about it. Like, look on the wall, they're watching us. Like, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like we got, like, this is UConn, you can't do that, you right. know? And, um, but it's been exciting, man. You know, for me, it's been great. Uh, you know, I work, I, you know, I wake up every day with a passion for being there, um, to be a part of trying to rebuild such a story program. It's been, it's been awesome. To, to leaks from Left Rack too, right? 
Yes. Okay, yeah. so mm-hmm. so does UConn know what they're doing? They're letting Left Rack run the program right now. Does, yeah, does Danny I'm Hurley understand Dan, what he's yeah. doing? <laughs> me and Talik, me and Talik laugh about it all the time. You know what I mean? Like we grew up in the same building. Right. Like wow. Talik is dope. like a little brother to me. So you know, I'm just like we don't went from Left Rack to UConn. You know what I mean? Like, but but it's been awesome, man. We both very professional. You know, Talik loves the game. Um, it's no surprise he's doing what he's doing. You know, if he had a better jump shot, he'd be in the NBA. But that's not the that's not the path for him. He's a national champion, and um, you know his future is bright in coaching as well. It, I, I think it's a it's a beautiful um, it's a beautiful. So I, I was fortunate enough to have Bob Hurley Senior on on the podcast. It has yet to be released, but it'll come out soon. Um, and the the best way I can describe it is like the honest demeanor that he has and the true passion and joy in being able to serve in his case, Jersey city. Right. And that whole community all, and I, I hate to like pinpoint race as something, but he is a white man, right? Family has been a staple in that community. And he looks at every player that's passed by every person that he's interacted with in that community as a part of his family. Right. I can only imagine what it is like to work for somebody like um, Dan Hurley. I I would imagine a lot of those same principles are there. But then I look at you and Talik in the left rack context, right? So now there's this strong bond between left rack and UConn because of you guys. And there seems to be a lot of support from the UConn, you know, from University of the UConn family for what you're doing with Coaches for Action, I'm assuming there's a ton going on potentially with Left Rack, that community as well. Like, tell me tell me how you feel. Just, again, and I think you alluded to it, like two kids from Left Rack, you're now here. You had a moment, you had a blip in on your journey where everything could have just went completely left, right? How, how, how do you just feel about where you've been able to go since coming out of Left Rack? Yeah, I just feel like, you know, every step of the way, um, everything you do uh, in your career and in your life is preparing you for the next thing. You know, and I truly believe that. Like, I feel like, um, you know, when I got into grassroots coaching, I had no idea I wanted to even get into college. You know, I just wanted to do something that I was passionate about. I loved working with young people. I still love basketball you know, kept me around the game. And um, I think just who we are as athletes, we're competitors, right? And once you feel like you've mastered something, it's on to the next and you want that next level of competition. And that's the way I view my, my coaching career. Um, You know, I don't, it's not much more than that. Like, I don't think UConn is the last stop for me. You You know, know, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry to cut you off. Were you done with your point? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, sorry about that. So my question to you is because of your success, first of all, I want to know specifically about UConn. What is your expectation coming up of for UConn men's basketball this coming season uh, and then beyond? Because I know, first of all, your accolades speak for themselves. You know what I mean? Your resume, is, your resume excuse me, is prevalent. You have done such great things yourself. What do you think you and Coach Hurley can do or are capable of going forward? Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, in, in, in our business, like the goal is winning, right? That's the that's how you're going to be judged, right? And at a place like UConn, you're going to be judged by national titles and final fours and and, and, and NBA lottery picks. Like that's, that's the way you're going to be judged. And I think working at a place like this, you understand that, <laughs> right? So, I mean, you know, we you, you, there's a realistic goal that's set with each team. And, and when you take over program, depending on where that program is um, at that particular time, um, you know, the expectation is to raise the level year by year. And I feel like we've done that. Um, we put a, a solid roster together that we're excited about with some young players and some veteran players with with some valuable experience. Um, you know, but but, uh, you know, you don't you don't want to. You don't want to put um, unrealistic goals and you don't want to put too much pressure on yourself. Being at a place like UConn comes with enough pressure. Um, but we are excited about about where the program is heading. I have one final question before we wrap. Um, 
pandemic has presented so many problems on so many levels for coaches. I don't know how you guys do your job as far as recruiting goes with all that's going on. Like how is talent evaluation actually happening for you? It's tough, man. It's tough. You know, uh, you know, in our program, it's a little different. You know, Danny wants all of our, our coaches in practice every day, even during the season. Um, you know, like like there weren't many times where you could get out and see players during the season. Now, if you had an off day and you can run up and see a high school game or practice, so be it. So we were lucky enough that we were able to hone in on um, three, or four, three or four recruits that we had, you know, we had evaluated throughout the season. You know, prior to the pandemic, we knew they were guys that we wanted to sign at, at our place. They fit our, you know, they fit our positional needs and they fit our culture. Um, you know, but outside of that, you know, it was Zoom calls and live streaming of practices and watching old film. Like it was very untraditional. Wow. Um, and it was challenging that way, too, because, I mean, you can watch something on video and it looks pretty good. But then, you you know, you. You know, I, I used to, I, I joke all the time when I would wear my glasses, I would just say, hey, I trust these. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, I don't trust video. I don't trust a, a scouting report. I don't trust, you know, somebody writing me, telling me, you know, who the rankings. I I, I trust my, you know, my eyes. So, um, you know, recruiting has changed that way. You know what I mean? And there's a tons of different different programs um, that that you can evaluate players through, through live streaming and video. But... Um, it's not ideal. I have a question for you, uh, Kamani. I, I spoke about the expectations of UConn. What are your goals or expectations of yourself as far as your career going forward? What would you like? What was a what's an ideal goal for you going forward? Is it men's college basketball? Is it maybe a coach in the NBA someday? What do you see yourself, and what would you like to go on your trajectory? Yeah, I get this question a lot, man, and and for me. You know, I want to be the best assistant coach at UConn I could be, right? I want to be the best assistant coach um, at the place that I work at. And I always feel like when I take that approach, uh, my results are going to speak for themselves, and then the next opportunity is going to come. You know, I think so many of us in, in, in my position are always looking for the next thing. And when you do that, you skip some steps that are, that are critical to the job that you're doing. You know, I wrote an article many years ago for a buddy of mine, Rob Lanier, um, uh, on coachspeak.net. And the, the, the title of the, the article was Be Here Now. Mm. Like, like, wherever you are, like, like do, do a great job. And, you know, the opportunities are coming. And I really believe that. When I was at New Heights, I was, listen, man, I was fighting kicking, screaming. I was, you know, I was, I was doing everything I could to make New Heights a relevant AU program and one of the most competitive um, environments in, in, you know, in that game, you know, New York City. When I got to FIU, I wanted to be the best assistant coach at FIU. I wanted to sign players, learn. I wanted to be a, you know, an offensive lineman for my, for my head coach and protect him from, from, you know, different things that I, that I felt like I could be responsible for. When I got to Minnesota, it was the exact same thing. It wasn't a day that I woke up saying, I can't wait to go to the next. I was, I was excited about being at Minnesota. Um, and I'm the same way here at UConn. You know, I, I don't think it's the, the, you know, the last stop for me, but, you know, I'm not looking for the next stop either. Damn. That, you that, hear that, that Coach like Hurley? The- Dan Hurley, did you hear, report? Dan Hurley, please come to the principal's office, Dan Hurley. Yo, that deserves that deserves that deserves some cheers right there. Why not? Why not? Yo, come Kamani, that was as close as a Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. speech I heard in a long chill, time. Chill, son, chill. Yo, that's you, blasphemy. You, you, you on the cusp. You on the cusp, man. You from Queens. You on the cusp. I'm just saying. No, but but uh uh you know, as you were speaking, I was like, damn, what a politically correct thing to say and and i don't mean that like throwing shade because sometimes people say politically correct things that they don't mean but it was obviously evident that this is inherently how you really feel i i think it's a lesson and you using it in the basketball context as a coach but 
and and I think you alluded to this. Like this is a general thing. Like we get caught up on what the potential beautiful thing is that's up next, or we think we're in line for, and we forego doing our best in our current situation, and everything else kind of crumbles. So you never get that opportunity. That ladder falls flat, and it's something that I, in my professional career, I'd say I learned, but not um, not because I was intelligent enough to proactively do it it kind of the chips just kind of laid stacked up that way and it taught me like yo chill like you you you're doing what you need to be doing right now and that's what you should be focused on and to similar to how you do it you did it more proactively it happened to me you kind of made it happen right and so that's how my career trajectory kind of took off it was like i was doing as good a job as possible in that current capacity and then things just started happening around me and and it's a really important lesson. It's hard because we always I feel like we're never satisfied as human beings. Like we're always mm-hmm. like, all right, it could be better. Like let, let me think about that. But it really it there is a lot of benefit to kind of staying for wholly focused on what you're blessed to be in the seat of being able to take care of. Yeah, absolutely. So um, co- yeah. I'm sorry, I just wanted to make a small comment to piggyback off what my brothers just said. Um First of all, I just want to say thank you for what you're imparting wisdom because truth is um, I have a company called Custom Promotional Poems, right? And ideally what I do is I create commercials for small business products and services. And my 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 point with that is I have aspirations. Don't get me wrong. I want to do bigger and big, bigger things or, you know, so to speak. But I take great pride in what I do individually. Like, I don't like say, oh, this person is not a known commodity. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I, don't look, I don't gloss over anybody. But I realized that when I pour my heart into that thing and be the best at that moment, that you can only climb from that. So when you say being in that moment, I've, I'm learning that now at my age. And I, I just want to say thank you for imparting that to our viewers. But that's something that I'm taking home with me today. I'm continuously learning from. But your wisdom, my brother, is the reason why you're sitting at the an assistant coaching job or a coaching rank. Because a lot of youth are going to listen to that at an earlier age even than I have. And so that's a beautiful thing. So I just want to say thank you, brother. If no one else thank you today or for your for your tenure as a coach, I want to say thank you. Much appreciated, man. So so but, uh, as we as we conclude here, um where can people learn more about coaches for action um and just be on the lookout for the things that are coming down the road. Yeah, coachesforaction.org. I mean, Twitter, Instagram, um we have our own website uh you know, Big East Conference. Um, I mean, you know, everything that we're doing is is out there. So, you know, give us a follow and, and give us some feedback. Uh, you know, we're open arms and open ears. Wonderful. Coach, thank you so much. Good luck the rest of the way. Hope the season shapes up to actually happen and you guys kick some ass. So we'll be we'll be watching. Much appreciated, yeah. man. All right. Thank follow. you, Coach. I'm going to be right, following brother. you, man. Take, Take care, care brother. Anytime. Peace. Later. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dribbling Dimes. If you like what you heard, please leave a review or comment wherever you're listening to us now. Check us out on social media as well. We're live on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. On all platforms, you can find us at D-R-I-B-B-L-E-N-D-I-M-E-S.